Uh, Good morning, everyone. Glad to see you here. Week four of our series we've called The Fine Lines, Navigating All of Life's Relationships. You might be thinking up until this point, if you've participated in numerous weeks of this series so far, you might be thinking, Jason, of all the things that we could be talking about right now, why relationships? I mean, there is famine in the world, there's wars happening, the, the conflict between Russia and Ukraine seems, seems to keep going, there's, there's food shortage, why talk about relationships? It's because I believe that relationships are behind every single conflict that exists. There's a relational breakdown of some kind, and that's why things escalate to some sort of chaotic response in some way. This is why we are focusing on relationships. Not only that, but as humankind, we have been over-fascinated with the longevity of life. Think about this. The fountain of youth. You've heard that phrase before, right? The fountain of youth. They've made movies on pursuing the fountain of youth. You can, you can uh, look up the latest health craze and they can tell you if you just buy our product for $59.99 every single month, it will extend the longevity of your life. Here's what psychologist Dr. Susan Pinker says about their discovery of what actually is the most important factor in terms of the extension of human life. Check this out. It's not just a sunny disposition or a low-fat diet that helps people live longer. It's an emphasis on close personal relationships and face-to-face interactions. This is a study that she has been involved in for decades, and this is the conclusion that they have reached. Relational health and vitality is super important for us to understand if we're going to follow Jesus or if we're just going to be a human being on the planet. This is our why. We talked about, when we started this series, we talked about presence, fragrance, what kind of element of our lives is attractive to people around us. Because if we're somebody that people don't want to be around, they're not going to want to have a relationship with us. And we talked about the value of building our relational health and well-being on the foundation of Jesus. Then we talked about codependency and the reality that each one of us has codependent tendencies in our relational pursuits. And codependency is is wanting to control the response of another person in its essence. Then we talked about boundaries in relationships, and today we're going to be talking about commitment. I've got three things to say about commitment, and I've got three different stories from the Bible or sections of text that we're going to be looking at. So if you've got your Bible with you, you want to pull it out and be handy, make sure you can flip around with us. Or if you've got the YouVersion Bible app, you can go on to their events section, the more section, follow along with C-Road Live, and you've got all the content that we're going to be talking about right in that space. Three things about commitment. Here's the first one. Commitment means Focus. Commitment means focus. I'm going to be reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 19, a few verses, verses 23 through 26. They say this, Lot reached the village just as the sun was rising over the horizon. Then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them along with other cities and villages of the plain, wiping out all the people and every bit of vegetation. But Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him and she turned into a pillar of salt. Okay, really interesting text. Let's get some background as to what the heck happened here. At the beginning of our story of humankind, God creates everything perfectly and wonderfully and it is very good. 
And from that point on, things kind of tank a little bit. We reject all of God's design, all of God's pursuits, so we say, hey, we're going to do this better on our own, and here starts the cycle of sin, starts the cycle of chaos, starts the cycle of unmitigated turbulence that creates havoc in our world. The world gets so messy that God wants to start over. Start over by choosing a family, a man named Noah and, and his kids and his wife and their spouses. He's like, okay, I'm going to reset everything. I'm going to wipe everything out. We're going to start again, and hopefully this time you all get it. So this major flood fills the whole world, killing everything, resetting the bar, so to speak, the, the settings of creation. And then this one family goes on to recreate what God had intended. Unfortunately, even when God promised that he would never do that again, I think he knew that he would have to do that again. Because inevitably human nature always leaves us creating chaos if we don't have something else that we're clinging to or something else that is our focus leading us forward. So we come upon this, this man named Abraham many, many, many years later after Noah. And again, God chooses him to be set apart from the rest of humankind because he's like, I'm going to bless you so that you can be in turn a blessing to those around you. This relational responsibility. Abraham has a nephew named Lot. He doesn't have his own kids. And so Lot's invited on this new journey and adventure to go create their own nation, their own country, be a part of a living, breathing legacy. Lot and Abraham have a falling out. And Lot is settling near this community, Sodom and Gomorrah, which is like the epitome of, human, of the human condition at the time where everything goes and nobody cared about it. It was devastating to God's heart, and so he, he forewarned Abraham and Lot, and he's like, listen, I'm going to have to just get rid of this place because it's just, it's, it's a tragedy. I can't, I can't stomach what's happening in this environment anymore. And he gives Lot, in particular, specific instructions. He's like, hey, I need you to go here. And, and Lot renegotiates with him. He's like, that seems way too far to go in a single day, so how about I go this far? And, and God agrees. And he says, just don't look back. So Lot and his family are fleeing their home. And Lot's wife looks back. And she turns to a pillar of salt. Commitment means focus. Let me ask you this. What captures your gaze right now? Where's your focus? What captures your gaze right now? If you happen to have the privilege of being in a marriage relationship, your partner should capture your gaze. But more importantly than that, if you are a follower of Jesus in that marriage relationship, Jesus should capture your gaze. If you're in a friendship relationship with another person and you are a follower of Christ, that person has great value, but your gaze should be fixated on Christ. What Lot's wife forgot in this moment is she was looking back at everything that she was leaving behind instead of looking forward and ahead into everything that God was inviting them into. Safety and rescue and provision and care and kindness and so much more. And we as human beings have a tendency to let our gaze wander. 
Maybe you've seen this happen walking in a mall or walking down a street and you see a young couple together and another attractive individual is crossing you know, paths with them and one of them, their gaze gets distracted. What sort of relational chaos happens in that pairing at that time? Were you just looking at that person? Uh, no, no, I was looking at the, the dirt on the street because it's interesting. When our gaze wanders, we get in all sorts of trouble. Commitment means focus, and this is why it's so hard for us to do when it comes to relationships, because we wander a lot. It's like this pre, pre-developed condition that we have as human beings to let our gaze wander. In my backyard, we have dozens and dozens of squirrels. When you talk to Chuck, he thinks that's amazing, When you talk to a Canadian, they think it's crazy and anarchy. (laughs) But squirrels are hilarious. Have you ever watched them looking for nuts? They get distracted really easily. So I have tormented these squirrels in my backyard. (laughs) Now some of you animal lovers are like, where are we going with this? If he starts talking about blood and guts... No, I've distracted them on purpose. When they're finding or looking for a peanut or some other thing that they can bury, I'll like throw a rock in the grass and the noise will make them go, what? What just happened? What's over there? What's over there? Ooh, what's over here now? And they'll go crazy. It's awesome. Or if you've had a cat at home and you shine a flashlight on the wall or the floor, it's hilarious. It's amazing. Some wives have tried to do that with their husbands. Look at the light, look at the light. We just don't even see it. We're like, huh? Are you talking to me? I forget. Commitment means focus. And if we're honest at times, we just lose our focus. We get distracted by things that don't matter. Here's some of them. We get distracted about the size of our bank account or the lack of what's in it. Instead of following through what God is inviting us in to do, do maybe vocationally, we're like, well, geez, I got to make more money. And we start pursuing money and we lose sight of God. Instead of building into our marriage relationship, we might lose sight of things and get focused on the kids. The kids are important. Yes, they are. But guess what? Once they leave your house, if they leave your house... It's just you and that other person. And you best bet that you better be building into that relationship because you are life partners. See, there are very few times in our lives when we are invited to shift our focus away from what is good and healthy. And way more times where we're invited to shift our focus away from things that are actually detrimental to us. So where is your gaze? If Lot's wife would have just kept her eyes fixed on where they were going and what Jesus, what God had invited them into, she would not have turned into a pillar of salt. When we get distracted or when our gaze shifts to something that's detrimental, we're going to suffer relationally. We're going to suffer relationally because of it. Commitment means focus. Where are we focusing right now?
Commitment doesn't only mean focus. Commitment also means sacrifice. One of my favorite verses is John 15, verse 13. Jesus says it like this. Greater love. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And the translation I memorized, greater love has no one than this than to lay one's life down for his friends. Commitment means sacrifice. It's not something that we want to talk about a lot here in our world today. Because culturally, we are supposed to be not a have-not society, but a have-everything society. And so when we talk about sacrifice, it's like, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be chasing my dreams, meaning I get whatever I want in the moment. Emotions are a wonderful thing, but emotions can actually lead us to lose our focus. So can our logic. And that's why we have to marry logic and focus together with the word of God and from that position move forward. Even better yet is when we have a cluster of people around us that are helping us course correct our lives when we get distracted by things that just don't matter. Think about the life of Jesus. He gave everything for you and for me. He didn't hold anything back. Without his ultimate sacrifice, you and I relationally would be broken with God. We can read stories from the Old Testament of what this would have looked like for us. In order for for people to experience rightness with God in the Old Testament, a lot of times they had to, to trust other people on their behalf to communicate to God. There was a high priest like the, the, the central religious figure of the society. And once a year, that high priest was, was invited to go into the most sacred of spaces in the temple where the presence of God dwelt. And on behalf of the entire nation, have a, have a communion with their creator. Human beings were so skeptical that that wouldn't go well that they would tie a rope around his leg with a belt. So that when the bell kept ringing, they knew, okay, it's going to be okay. He's still alive. When the bell stopped, they would pull out the dead carcass. Because the high priest didn't make it in that holy of holies space. Because of Jesus, we don't have to go through all those hoops anymore. We can have uninhibited access to the very creator of everything that we know. He didn't hold back. Commitment means sacrifice. He gave up everything. He was wounded for you and for me. By his wounds we are made whole, but by his restoration, his resurrection, his scarring, we can live and we can breathe and we can move. It's one thing to die for somebody. It's another to come back and tell them why you did it. What does this mean for us relationally, Jason? Some of us have closed our lives off to relationships. We don't have room in our lives for people. For whatever reason, call it the pandemic excuse. Some of us took it as an opportunity to shelve people to the side, not because we were afraid of COVID, but because we didn't want to be related to them anymore or connected to them anymore. Newsflash, you still might be related to people you don't want to be connected to. 
Just because you ignore them doesn't mean they just disappear. And relationally at times what we do is we marginalize people. We, we were like, we don't have time for you anymore. We get distracted by something else. It grieves my heart when I hear this about our church family. When somebody has come to our church, you know, four, six, eight, ten months, maybe a year, and they've tried to connect with people and they haven't found anybody to connect with. You know what that tells me? We don't understand that commitment means sacrifice. Are you creating space in your life for people? All the introverts are like, nope, I am not. I'm one of you. So I get the challenge that it is to create space and margin in your life to connect with people. But when we don't, we miss out on all the relational benefits of connecting with other people. Years and years and years and years ago, more than I'd like to count, there was this crazy little, little gal in our youth group who I noticed one day who I pursued intentionally over years and years and years and years. This year we celebrate our 19 year wedding anniversary. Which is, we're just getting started. Like I'm just learning all the things I don't know. That's what it means. If Bonnie would have never opened herself up to the possibility, you think I'm weird now? Jason, like 25 years ago, was way worse, okay? She would have never opened herself up to the possibility that, hey, maybe through God's grace, this will be okay. We wouldn't be here. Neither would all the five Frizzell kids. So there you go, kids. That's how babies are made. Moving on. We miss out on the depth and the quality of friendship around us when we are unwilling to invite people in. Are you creating margin and space in your life for new connections? Do you linger? Like if you come on a Sunday, do you linger after the service and look for somebody you don't know and say hello? What happened to that practice? Are we creating space and margin for connection? Because if we're not, then maybe we're not doing what Jesus invites us to do. When he says the, the greatest commandment is to love God and love other people, that means people are going to be involved in your life. And then he goes one step further with his closest friends and he says, go and make disciples. There's an expectation that you're going to go and make disciples. What does that mean? Help people become like Jesus if Jesus was living their lives. That's what it means. And you can't do that if you're not connecting with people. I've yet to meet somebody who's like, yeah, you know what? The trees really helped me to become more like Jesus. It takes people to get involved in somebody else's life, to really love them and care for them, not to control them. It takes people who are willing to make a commitment and, and sacrifice some of their time 
Maybe some of their treasure because it's going to mean, you know, meeting for coffee every week for a few years. As a young 22-year-old man, I had the privilege of having Dan enter my life. And I've told stories about Dan before. But for the course of the next seven years, he met with me every single two-week period and bought me breakfast. Without a guy like Dan investing in me relationally, I wouldn't be who I am today. He didn't have to do it. He probably had better things to spend his money on and his time on. He wasn't perfect, neither was I. But he saw something. He created margin and space in his life and in his calendar, and he started to invest. So my encouragement to us today is, can we do the same? If Jesus doesn't withhold anything from us, can we be representatives of him in our relationally broken world and not hold back? But step up and partner with what God wants to do in our lives through the power of his Holy Spirit, his presence. Stopping the excuses of like, well, I don't know how to talk to people. Sometimes just showing up is good enough. Commitment means focus. Commitment means sacrifice. Commitment also means this. Inconvenience. I want to read a story from the book of Mark for you. Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of the religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had, previous, who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly, but Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? I could continue, but I'll stop there. Commitment means inconvenience. This scene is one of the most awkward scenes in the life of Jesus, in my opinion. He's having dinner with a group of people, Simon, who previously experienced a firsthand miracle, having leprosy, which in that day and age meant you were isolated relationally from everybody. If you had leprosy, they didn't know how it hit it, it came about. They didn't know how it was passed on to other people or you could get infected or anything like that. And so what they would do is if you exhibited signs of leprosy, you were invited to live outside of the proper place where everybody else lived in the town or the community. And at times you weren't even given like supplies. You were like basically chased out of the town. Don't come back or we're going to murder you kind of stuff. You had to leave your wife, your kids, your aunts, your uncles, your parents, your business, everything. You had nothing. That's where you were in that whole state of depravity and isolation. Jesus came across Simon and restored him by restoring his health and well-being. But more importantly than that, restored him relationally. 
Because with his newfound layers of health, he was able to reintegrate into his family. All of those pre-existing relationships that he would have had are now restored and rebuilt or in the process of doing so. And I assume as an expression of thanks, he's like, just come over for dinner. It's like when somebody mows your lawn, you want to thank them, maybe you invite them over for dinner. You experience a miracle at the hands of Jesus, you invite him over for dinner and you're like, let's, let's talk more, I want to know more. And maybe Simon and his family slaved over the meal and just did it all meticulously, exactly the way they wanted it. And everything was going well. And then this uninvited guest breaks into the party, breaks a jar of perfume, anoints your honored guest, monopolizing his time, and all you are is frustrated. See, commitment means inconvenience sometimes. Jesus chastises the people around the table who are belittling this expression of love and connection that this woman is is doling out on him. The text starts by telling us that Jesus is going to be, you know, harassed further and, and pursued and all of his adversaries are trying to figure out how to capture him and then kill him eventually. So we know that's foreshadowing. We know what's coming. We know that that's going to play out in his life. Not everybody at the table knew, but somehow this woman knew she needed to express this this joy, this layer of gratitude. And I'm curious because I'm sure that she herself would have benefited from Jesus in her life in some way as well. And so she pours out this amazing expression of love and she's criticized for it. And the truth is, when we pursue commitment, it's not always going to be convenient to do so. Commitment means inconvenience at times. If we listen to our broader culture and society, it's not convenient to remain committed to your marriage relationship. It's not convenient to remain committed to your friends. Maybe you've seen this scenario play out or maybe you yourself have been a benefactor, unfortunately, or a recipient of this environment, but maybe in a, in, a, in a social type circle, you thought you were close friends with somebody and then you became uh, a, the focal point of, of some criticism of some kind and instead of these friends that you thought would stand with you in the midst of all that criticism and chaos, you found yourself standing alone and isolated. That's what our culture reinforces in terms of relational commitment. It is to go with the flow and go with the majority so that you yourself are never put in a position of vulnerability. But that isn't a relationship. Living that state of life, that's not relationship, that's not friendship, that's just survival. We aren't called to survival. We are called to live fully if we're gonna follow after Jesus. And sometimes that's gonna mean inconvenience along the way. I was driving uh, to Ottawa with uh, some of our pastors. Uh, We were gonna take Chuck to his very first NHL hockey game. New York Islanders versus the Senators, if you can call that a hockey game, I don't know. 
And along the way, my wife calls me. And, and typically, when Bonnie calls, I answer. This time, I just, you know, ghosted her because I was like, well, I'm in the car. I shouldn't answer my phone. I, I, you know, I don't want to be that guy. And then she called again. And I'm like, okay, two calls. I better answer her. This isn't going to go well. So I answer the phone. And she's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm driving. Remember, we're on our way to this game thing, whatever. She's like, I just need you to know, Chris and Vicky, they came over, which are our neighbors, and they want you to pray for them. I offered to pray, but they said that wasn't good enough. They want you to pray for them because this is what's happening in their lives. It was an inconvenient moment, okay? A layer of of like we were focused on the game, having fun, introducing uh, you know, Chuck to the rules of hockey, explaining to them what it looks like. He was having a hard time visualizing, okay, you can create forward momentum wearing knives on your feet. I don't, I don't get what that's going to look like. We were talking about offside because offside is different in hockey than it is in football or soccer, right? This inconvenient moment, my neighbors are asking me to pray. What's my response? Sometimes commitment means inconvenience, times that we haven't planned for it. Maybe it means leaving the roast to cook a little bit longer than you anticipated after a Sunday because God's telling you to talk to somebody that you've seen in this space. Or maybe it means joining us online. Maybe it means joining a small group for the very first time post-pandemic. I don't know But I know that God invites us into layers of relationship and commitment, and sometimes it's not going to always be convenient. It's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require focus, and it's going to require a willingness to actually go there. But if that's something that we want to be a part of, we have to understand that Jesus doesn't ask us to go places that he hasn't already gone. You think it was convenient for Jesus to hang out with the crew of people that he did all the time? No. (laughs) To have to constantly explain yourself, this is why we're here, guys. Come on. Well, Jesus, why couldn't we do that? Did you forget to pray? It's not always convenient to connect with people. But it's a calling that every single one of us have been invited into simply by being alive. So if you're like, I'm waiting for God to speak to me, God has given you breath. God has given you breath. And from that breath, he invites you to partner with him in building relationships, not only with him, but with other people. And I dream of a church community that is excellent at connecting people to people and not just people to things. Sometimes a thing can be a catalyst for relational connection of some kind, but remove the thing and there's no actual tangible relationship. We're called to be inconvenient in that we have to pursue relationship with one another despite the changing things around us. So maybe it begins by just shifting the the contacts in your phone. Maybe instead of Kevin the plumber, it's Kevin and his actual last name. I got a wake-up call on this one because I was having some plumbing issues at my house and I contacted one of the two plumbers in my phone. Yeah, that's right, two plumbers. 
And immediately, the response was like, what kind of plumbing do you need? And I'm like, wow, okay. I think I only reach out when I need something from this person. I love being your pastor. I know our, our, our staff loves serving you. But we also are relational beings. I'm a relational being. I enjoy friendship that is both give and take. Not just take, not just give. And there are times and then there are seasons in a relational dynamic where one person or one entity needs a little bit more than the other entity does, and that's okay. But it becomes true friendship when you have this reciprocal give and take reality. And that's the exact same relationship that we're invited into with Jesus. Like we, we are given the layer and the opportunity to just receive the gift of salvation. And that's fine. We can stay there if we'd like to. But we're going to miss out on the rich relationship that we are invited into with our living, breathing Savior in a give-and-take reality from that moment on, saying yes to his invitations, learning to have our focus narrowed, our gaze captivated by him, learning that there are sacrificial elements to love and that love isn't always convenient. That's what commitment is all about. So here today... I'm going to invite you once again to take, take an inventory of your relational health and well-being. And we're going to have a time of prayer as we kind of enter into the closing portion of our connection time here together. We're going to reserve space where we can pray for our own relationships and some of the things that will be up on our screen of, uh, as, as things that we can pray for as well. If we're like, all my relationships are good, I don't know what else to pray for. You're going to have some things, some prompts for you to pray for in our community, our relational environment that people are asking for prayer for. What a privilege it is to do that. And so I'm going to invite you into these next few moments to do that. Our worship team may come up and lead a song. And as that song's going, you can have a worship-filled response as you pray. Or worship along it, borrow the words and the phraseology and use that as a catalyst for your prayers. I'm going to be up on one side of the stage uh, at the front and Daniel's going to be up at the other stage at the front. And if you want anybody to pray with you about anything that's been said this morning or something that you, you think God might be saying to you in the moment, we are going to be here to pray with you in that space. My hope, my desire is that we would learn the layers of commitment that we are invited into if we're going to follow after Jesus. And I get it. Sometimes we just don't want to follow after Jesus. We want what he provides, but we don't want to follow him. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, the expectation here at Sea Road is that you not just know about Jesus, but you know him by following him. So again, if that's something you'd like to talk with somebody about, myself and Daniel, we're going to be up here, and we'd love to speak with you. Let me pray as we kind of bring this portion of time to a shift, a conclusion, and we invite God to continue to speak to us in various ways. Father, I just want to think about the relational health and well-being this inventory of my own life. And I know my friends gathered in this space and those tuning in online may also choose to do this as well. 
I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would point out to us where we can grow in our commitment to you and our commitment to the people in our lives. And maybe that's going to mean just making space in our lives for the very first time or for the first time since a long time or whatever it's going to mean. But I pray, God, that we would listen attentively to you, that we wouldn't feel coerced or pushed by anybody else but you lovingly invited into experiencing something different, something new, something fresh, or something familiar that was once a part of our lives but has drifted for whatever reason. God, I pray over marriages. I pray over parent-child relationships, grandparent-grandchild relationships, neighbor relationships, coworker relationships, friendships in the classroom and in the hallway. Jesus, sometimes they are hard. And sometimes the level of commitment that we have is different than the level of commitment that other people have in that relationship. Holy Spirit, would you give us the wisdom that we need to navigate that relational tension? Father, I ask that you would bless and protect us. You make your face shine upon us, be gracious to us, and turn your face towards us and give us your favor and your peace. And as we express ourselves and worship through song and worship through prayer, would you meet us in these next moments and speak clearly, we pray. Amen.